This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Sandra Ingerman. Sandra is a shamanic practitioner and teacher, a psychotherapist, and the educational director for the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, who has taught workshops on shamanism around the world. She's the author, along with Hank Wesselman, of the Sounds True book, Awakening to the Spirit World, The Shamanic Path of Direct Revelation, and the three-part online event, 21st Century Shamanism, which begins August 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time at SoundsTrue.com. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Sandra and I spoke about our connected web of consciousness, understanding our individual spiritual aspects, and how shamanic practice can benefit others. Here's my conversation with Sandra Ingerman. Sandra, I wanted to start by having you explain something that I encountered here in the Sounds True studio when you were at Sounds True, it must have been about five years ago, recording a program with us, which is I walked down in the studio to say hi to you. You were taking a break. You just finished a recording session. And the studio felt unlike any other time I'd ever walked into it, meaning the room felt glittery and I don't know I was actually overwhelmed with I would call it a kind of ecstasy actually and I don't know if you remember this but I looked at you and I said what did you do to our studio and you looked at me and you said I didn't do anything to the studio Tammy I did something to myself what did you do what was going on in there while you were recording well um, I was recording the CD Miracles for the Earth and the principle uh, with the work that I was teaching actually comes out of classic shamanism, which is that our outer world is a reflection of our inner state of consciousness. And in today's world, we're very focused on the outer. We're always looking at what can we do to change the world that we live in, our personal life, and the planet at large. And one of the great teachings from shamanism is that if you really want to change the world that you live in, to move your focus inward, because we're basically dreaming the outer world by the invisible world of substance that we're building within us. And so... um, On Miracles for the Earth, what I was teaching uh, people how to do is to really start to learn how to shift more into a spiritual way of being because we get so attached to everything in the material world as a reflection of our body and our mental thoughts. But if you um, take away the body and you take away the mind, what we are is uh, spiritual light. And so in that CD and also with the other CDs I've recorded for Sound True and what I've written about in my shamanic books is that as we tap into our own spiritual nature, our presence changes. And it's through that change in presence that the world around us is also affected because every change in consciousness that we make ripples throughout the entire web of life. And so you happened to walk into the studio uh, after um, I had led a meditation for being able to dissolve the body, uh, let go of the thoughts temporarily and get in touch with one's spiritual light. And you got that real... um, glitter, that radiant light, you felt tangibly um, the change that had happened. And with the other CDs that I've also recorded at uh, Sounds True, 
um, those people who were working on the production went through the same thing that you did um, when you actually experienced that shift in presence. Now, what do you mean by spiritual light? And when you say if you drop the body and the mind, I mean, I'm in my body, right? I mean, right. So what do you mean exactly? Well, uh, if you travel really deep within yourself, um, and we, we are a body, and, and I love the, uh, how the Egyptians talk about um, the body as the temple of our spirit. But when you go within the body, if you see the body of of clothing another aspect of ourselves because in our culture we talk about body mind and spirit and we we have a an understanding of obviously what we we mean by body and mind but in a western world we've really stopped exploring from a a western scientific point of view what does the spiritual aspect of ourselves mean and the, the spiritual aspect of ourselves is invisible, um, so it's really hard to put words to in different traditions, find different words to talk about spirit. Um, from a shamanic point of view and from an esoteric point of view, when you travel really deep within yourself and you go beyond your body and see your body as clothing your spirit, um, you start to notice that there's... Um, a presence, a presence of, of light. And it's um, an invisible part of us um, that reflects basically the creative force of the universe, the power of the universe, which is also in many traditions seen as light. And so it, it really takes a sinking into your inner self if you get into a still place um, you don't perceive form. Um, oftentimes people, when they get into a very still place, move into a place of formlessness, which oftentimes is perceived as light. Now, Sandra, you've been a shamanic practitioner and now a teacher for over three decades. Can yep. you talk to us a little bit about how you first were introduced to shamanism? Well, I first got introduced to shamanism while I was going for my master's in uh, counseling psychology, and I was always a spiritual child. I had three near-death experiences in my life and always had a spiritual outlook on life, always seemed to be able to hold a bigger perspective than what I was just seeing on an ordinary level. And I didn't have um, a structure for that spirituality. I didn't know what to do with it. I saw spirits. Um, I, I embraced the world from a, a bigger perspective, but I didn't really know how to integrate um, that spiritual knowledge in my day-to-day -day life. And... Um, in 1980, I took a course on shamanic journeying when I was studying at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And in learning how to journey, I actually uh, received a structure of what I could do with my spirituality so that I learned how to actually access spiritual guidance for myself to start to learn how to improve my own life. And um, as I learned how to use shamanic journeying to improve my own life, as I was a, a therapist at that time, it started to give me the guidance on how I could help my clients tap into their own spiritual guidance. And I also learned how shamans work with looking at illness and I, I saw how to start to use spiritual work to help people in a modern-day culture in our time um, learn how to move through depression and some of the emotional illnesses and also the physical illnesses that we're dealing with at this time. And then that led me into um, being very interested in the planet at large, how we could actually help the planet. So I started with the personal of really looking at how shamanic journey, how shamanic journeys and tapping into my own spiritual guidance could help me on a personal level. And then it started to um, help me with my work 
and other fields. Well, let's track with you, the listener here, with your life story. Mm-hmm. So starting at the personal level, you mentioned that even before you learned to journey that you saw beings. Like, what kinds of beings? Well, when I, when I was a little kid, um, I grew up Jewish, and, and so my parents never really understood where I was coming from. But Jesus used to appear to me in my room every single night before I went to bed. And I had lots of animal dreams, which is real classic um, in in shamanism. And um, I was hit by lightning when I was seven years old and went to a great being of, of light where I experienced unconditional love. And from a shamanic perspective, it was um, those deep initiations where a person actually experienced some kind of light or, or spiritual being that a uh, path is laid forth for um, gaining shamanic knowledge um, over time in one's life. And so I just had these initiation experiences of a child of, of seeing spirits and also having that experience of unconditional love and unconditional light from a creative force of the universe. And then when I got into shamanic journeying, I have to be real honest about this because I've been thinking about this a lot this morning, um, about my path with shamanism and how I started initially and where I've come to now. When I first started journeying, um, my big question to my power animal was how I could lose weight. You know, I was really stuck in in the personal level and everything was around... um, my own life and my own body at that time, I needed to lose a bit of weight, so it was about, um, you know, diet. And what shamanism led me to, my journeys led me to, was looking at more than my own body, but that maybe the weight issue I was dealing with at that particular time in my life had to do with not feeling fulfilled in my life. And so working with my helping spirits... Um, they show, they started to lead me to what changes would I need to make in my life that would bring more about a sense of, of well-being and meaning in my life so I felt more passion in life and so that I didn't turn to food but I turned to other parts of life that would really feed me on a different level. And so I started with real personal, you know, down-to-earth um, had to change my body, and um, over time, it, that really led me to um, working with other people and, again, looking at more of a global perspective. So I think that I know I'm moving a little bit out of the range of your question, but I, I was really reflecting this morning on how my own journeys around my own personal being um, led me into a different way of working. And why I was thinking about this was I uh, recently read um, some information about how during the Olympics, some of the Canadian athletes um, turned to um, a woman who called herself a sports shaman to find out who their power animals were to help them in their competition mm-hmm. to be able to win a medal And I was thinking about how we're all on a particular journey in life, and we start with shamanism at a particular evolution of consciousness where we might only look at our own personal lives. But then when we start to work with um, the spirits, they start to lead us into a broader perspective and start to lead us to a different evolution of consciousness. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of of questions in here for me. The first is that you actually had three near-death experiences and were struck by lightning in your early life before you were 20? Yeah. um, Being struck by lightning was my first um, near-death experience, and and it was really um, an amazing experience because I was in my house in Brooklyn, New York, um, and my mother was standing right behind me in the kitchen, and um, just a weird bolt of lightning came in and threw me across the kitchen 
And I came back, Mommy, I died, Mommy, I died. And my mother said, no, you didn't. And it wasn't, it was later on in life that um, when I worked at San Francisco State University that I learned about near-death experiences and, and the work of some of the writers in that area. Okay, and then these early visits from mm-hmm. Jesus, how do you understand that? What, what, what do you think? Was this some kind of beam of a, of a cosmic vibratory pool called Jesus, an actual being called Jesus? Who was visiting you? Well, you know, when I, when I was, this was when I was pretty little, again, growing up in Brooklyn, so I, I wasn't um, thinking in that particular realm, but uh, now as an adult, looking back on that, I really perceive that as an energy of love that was surrounding me as a child and giving me guidance about the power of love, which is where true healing comes from. It's not techniques that heal, it's love that heals. And I think that I was really um, being held in the loving arms of the universe and getting that um, loving structure that would help me in my work with others. But still, I guess the question occurs to me, because here you are, you're in a Jewish family. Right. So there wouldn't have been a lot of talk about Jesus and teachings about Jesus, but yet Jesus is the being that came to you. Right, yeah. And, you know, I think that that, I actually see that as true for people who, um, when when we're brought up in a particular religion with a particular structure, uh, oftentimes we receive um, images and teachings that uh, we were we were taught where there are collective energies like the energy of Jesus or the energy of Mary or the energy of Buddha that um, actually can come into a person's life who didn't have that that teaching from a particular culture imposed on them, which actually makes it a more powerful teaching. You know, I have so much curiosity about appearances like the appearance of Jesus or Mary, and maybe it's because I'm somebody who doesn't see those kinds of things. Right. So it, it has such curiosity for me. And I wonder how to understand it Well, what I really wonder is how you understand it. You've worked with so many different people Mm -hmm. who see so so many different kinds of beings appearing to them. What's your map of this? Well, again, um, I started from one place and one understanding, and because I have been a real spiritual seeker um, throughout my entire life and now being in my late 50s, you know, I keep evolving into different understandings of knowing. I was at a, a workshop um, many years ago. I was teaching a workshop, and I was teaching people how to merge uh, with a, a helping spirit that they work with to get understanding. And so I was doing a demonstration of what that would look like. And and uh, one of the uh, helping spirits that I work with, who I write about in my books, is the Egyptian goddess Isis. So I had merged with Isis in this group, and I told the group that they could ask Isis whatever questions they wanted, and she would answer them. So one of the participants in the group asked Isis, can you see all of our power animals and teachers sitting in, in the room here? And Isis gave a very interesting response. She said that we give the spirits a form by giving them a name, but that actually the spirits don't have a particular form. We, we give them a form. So um, people who journey, they see bear um, as a power animal or eagle, or some people have Jesus or Mary or Buddha as a, as a teacher. But in reality, they, they don't have um, these names. They don't have these personalities. But it's our need as, from a, a human perspective to be able to know that we have this bear with us or this eagle with us or Jesus with us or Mary with us. But actually, the, the spirits who work with us actually have a formless energy 
which gives them the unlimited potential to create the healing that we need on a personal level and on a planetary level. So exactly what was happening for me as a child in actually seeing the form of Jesus and what that meant um, for me, I don't know if there were stories that I heard when when I was a child at school that um, made this particular image safe to me. But now as a, war- a woman in my 50s, um, Jesus is more of, a, of an energy of teaching. And we limit the power of the spirits because we get so attached to their form. And when we actually put a form on the spiritual energies, we end up limit- limiting their potential. So what you're saying is we tune in more to like a frequency or something like that, or a signature, but then we call it something. Exactly. But now what about an an instance where somebody enters a journey, Mm -hmm. they meet some kind of frequency, and they say to to that vibration, tell me who you are, tell me what you are, and they hear something they've never heard of before. Right. Yeah, and, and that's the, that's actually the beauty of shamanism is the surprise element that you never get what you think you're going to get. And that frequency, um, basically from a shamanic point of view, um, whenever we start to enter into the uh, world of shamanic journeyings, the universe really creates a very individualized lesson plan for us. So if, if five of my students have Bear as a teacher, they're, they're going to have five different types of journeys. Bear isn't going to all tell them the same thing. And so what one can, if, if to try and uh, think about this on a rational level, is that our own psyches start to call in a particular frequency of help and guidance that we need um, in our life at a particular time, that changes over time. You know, we, we're all going to evolve. We're all going to have different lessons and different needs and different um, frequencies that we need to call on for guidance in our life. But at a particular, t- at a particular time in our life, um, we might find that there's a particular comfort and a particular kind of wisdom and knowledge that we need. So our, our psyche calls forth a particular form. And it might be coming from our subconscious so that we're not even aware that we're calling in this particular form. But it's a call that's being put out to the universe, and the universe is responding to our call. Mm-hmm. So our, our subconscious may have knowledge of a name we've never heard before, uh, an archetype or a mythological being or something like that. Right, absolutely, and and knows the knowledge that it needs at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're we're tracking from the personal aspects of shamanism to then your discovery that you could use these techniques in working with other people. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? What kinds of issues or problems can shamanism address, and, and how it goes about that? Sure. Um, the wonderful thing about working with the spirits is that the spirits have a different perspective on life than we do. And I love the metaphor. A friend of mine who's a shamanic teacher has a wonderful metaphor. She talks about being at a ball game and that we as humans are the players on the field and the spirits are sitting in the bleachers. And they can see everything that's going on from a different perspective. We don't always have the perspective that we need because we're right there on the field. We can't. We don't have that 360 uh, degree um, perspective that those in the bleachers have. And so, um, how I was able to help other people was number one, being able to uh, lead people to be able to meet up with their own helping spirits who could give uh, them personal wisdom and guidance of how to find passion and meaning in their life, what changes they needed to make in their life to create a healthier way of being. And so that's one way to really help people is to... um, 
help them um, get in touch with their own personal spiritual guidance, which is something that people really crave right now. People are tired of giving their power away to other people. They want to tap into their own spiritual wisdom for themselves, and shamanic journey uh, gives that. And at the same time, um, in, in shamanism, what we look at with emotional and physical illness is what is spiritually out of harmony, what's spiritually out of balance. And so there are some classic causes of illness from a shamanic perspective that shamans work with. One is a person might have lost um, their um, helping spirits and they've lost their power, which creates uh, chronic depression, chronic suicidal tendencies, chronic illness, chronic misfortune. A person might have, uh, through trauma from suffering an emotional or physical trauma or shock, lost a piece of their soul, um, their vital essence, their vitality, and that would cause post-traumatic stress syndrome. Again, uh, depression, um, dissociation, um, chronic illness, chronic immune problems, people who feel like they're more observing life as if they're watching a movie and not fully participating in life, or um, what we call um, a spiritual intrusion might have come into the body because a person has lost their power, a piece of their soul, there's an opening in their body, and the universe cannot stand a void, so something might come in to fill up that space, so a person might have a spiritual blockage that is causing an illness such as cancer or a neck problem or a knee problem. And so um, shamans look at what's happening on an invisible level for a person and either retrieve something that's been lost, like a power animal guardian spirit or a piece of a person's soul, or removes um, a spiritual blockage or some... um, spiritual intrusion that has come into the body and then through shamanism teaches a person the changes that they need to make in their life to live from a place of passion and meaning and to move back into a place of living life from a place of appreciation, gratitude, honor and respect and connecting um, with nature and life itself in order to restore long-term healing and not short-term healing. So, you know, there's a lot of elements that go into how shamanism can really work with people at this time on the planet. Okay, so let's break some of this down a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, when you give the example of the baseball field and the people in the audience, so isn't it possible to think about these helping spirits and power animals, the guardian spirits that are in the audience, aren't they just sort of extensions of who I am? They're not really separate from me, but yet the way you talk about it, it sounds like there's this power animal over here and this guardian spirit over there as if they're outside of me. Right, yeah. Well, again, it it goes back to the evolution of consciousness. And um, I actually hold both perspectives from... Sandra Ingerman, who's an ego, and who, from an egoic point of view, I experience myself as a separate being. And when I'm in a place of of separateness, I'm filled with fear about life and, oh, what am I going to lose and what's going to happen to me and, you know, all the trauma dramas that we experience as an egoic being when we forget that we're all part of a web of life and and held in the loving arms of the universe and that as a spiritual being we can't be hurt. So the Sandra Ingerman, who is an ego, uh, receives incredible comfort in knowing that I have these guardian spirits who are surrounding me who are like guardian angels who are taking care of me and helping me to grow and evolve and, and heal but in, in life, we have to look at that there are different aspects of ourselves. On one level, uh, we're part of a physical universe of form. And, and for most of us, 
in our daily lives, we perceive ourselves as an ego and we perceive ourselves as separate. When we transcend that state of, of separateness, which shamanism also teaches us how to do, and we are a spirit, uh, once we experience ourselves as a spirit, as divine light, as spiritual light, then we are our power animals. We are our teachers. And there, are, there is no difference. It's all spiritual energy. And so I think um, as human beings, unless you came into the world as a transcendent being, you know, there are many spiritual masters who... Um, come into the world already embracing a state of oneness all the time. Um, but for most of us who live a regular life, we go back and forth between perceiving ourselves as an ego and feeling um, that great comfort in knowing that I have a bear or an eagle or Isis or Jesus who's around me helping me and protecting me. And then at other times we... We move through a dance um, into a different paradigm where it's all one energy and there is no separation, and we are uh, those spiritual beings. And I think that that's part of the paradox of life um, in this world that we live in, of form and formlessness, of learning how to dance um, between those worlds. Okay, so as a as an ego being, as a form being, I have power animals and guardian spirits. Everyone does. And in the shamanic view, illness could be because I've somehow lost contact with some of my guardian spirits or power animals. How, how would I lose contact with them? What would happen? Why? Was, did I begin as a little infant in perfect contact? Well, there's not a... a I get that. I get that question a lot in workshops, and and from what I can tell from a shamanic point of view, there isn't um, um, a real answer to that why question of of what causes that um, disconnection from our own helping spirits. Um, from what I have learned is that helping spirits stay with us through a particular time in our life. And then when we're ready for new lessons, new opportunities, they move on and new ones come in to take their place. And sometimes a new um, power animal or helping spirit doesn't come in to take its place and a person is left without power. But um, the exact whys of all of that is really not understood. But you believe that everybody has helping spirits and power animals. Right. Yes. When we're born, um, from a a classic shamanic point of view, and again, we're looking at every different shamanic culture around the world, and you really can't find cultures that um, did not practice shamanism at some time in their history. It's believed that when we're born, certain helping, compassionate spirits volunteer themselves to, to us to act as what we would call guardian angels um, from a Judeo-Christian point of view. They act as guardian angels in our life. So going back to what you were saying earlier, that we name these spirits or guardians according to our own language and, and needs for those kinds of labels, would it be possible to say that each one of us has some kind of unique grouping of frequencies that are here to help us, that are outside of our ego structure, that we can call on, and we can also call them names and label them if we want, but we don't have to. Right, right, and and it's been a. I've almost felt a little schizophrenic in my in my own shamanic teaching at the moment because I I still teach workshops and I still practice myself classic shamanism where I work with these um, helping spirits. And then when I uh, teach workshops on healing with spiritual light, when you had walked into the studio that day and and felt um, a real shift in presence, I was teaching about how to work with formless energies in order to be able to heal ourselves and the planet. 
where where the guardian spirits, where the teachers, where the power animals, there there is no difference anymore. We're we're tapping into our own spiritual mastery. We're tapping into our own creative power. Um, in that particular evolution, in that paradox, in that paradigm of working, um, there's no longer a need to label, give a name, give a form anymore, because it's only one um, creative energy. It's the same energy that the creative force of the universe created this planet with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I get a little, I, sometimes I feel a little schizophrenic because I'll be teaching classic shamanism about now go to your power animal and ask this question, and then the next week I'll be teaching a workshop saying um, there are no power animals, the power is with you. And I think it goes back to, again, um, the question of what do people need in their life. And um, some people, some clients actually show up and they need the form of a power animal retrieval or what we would call a soul retrieval or a specific shamanic uh, technique to actually make them feel like they've been healed. And some people can em- embrace um, more of a, of a spiritual perspective of oneness, a lack of separation, and can really embrace the healing that comes from just being in a presence of light. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs different things, and it depends on the time of life that we're in. And so shamanism um, can really um, speak to all the different paradoxes and the different paradigms of, of the levels of life, whether we're coming from um, an ego um, separate state at that particular time in our life or evolution of consciousness, or it, when we're in more of a state of expansion, shamanism can also rise to um, help us to experience the invisible energy of life that runs through each and every one of us and connects us all. And what I'm really appreciating, Sandra, about this explanation and the way you're presenting this is the flexibility of perspectives that you're bringing forward. Right. Yeah, and I, I, there's, there's no judgment of, of where we are. It's we all move through different states. That there are certain times in our life where we're suffering loss and we move into a really egoic state of fear and grief about what we've lost on the material. And there are times in life where we can embrace the bigger mysteries of life and to realize that there's a a bigger picture going on. And for most of us in life, we move back and and forth between those two different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Now, we've been moving from the personal shamanism in a personal sphere, how to heal oneself, then how to work with other people, and now this third step, talking about shamanism today and the state of our world. And I'm wondering if you can talk some about that. I know this is something that you're very passionate about. Mm -hmm. What do you think the applications are of shamanic practice to the global ills that we're facing? Well, one of the applications is that shamanism teaches us that there's a web of life that connects us all. So um, it starts to take away the... Shamanism teaches us that there are no borders. You know, we we see um, America and Haiti and Europe and, you know, we, we love to put borders on things. But when we really look at the web of life, what we're talking about is one global community. And one of the uh, teachings of, of shamanism is that when you can engage more than one person in a healing process, the power of the healing becomes exponential. So if you bring two shamans into the picture, three shamans into the picture, the more people who you bring into the picture the more power you bring into the healing. So um, in working from a global perspective, what we start to see from a shamanic point of view is that as we gather as a community, we do have the power to create exponential change. 
And shamanism also teaches us that the world that we're living in is a dream. And if we really want to change the world, that um, the outer world, our experience of the outer world, we have to change what we're dreaming about in our inner world. And so that has to do with uh, really looking at um, our thoughts. What are we thinking about throughout the day? Because um, shamanism teaches us that everything in the invisible world manifest physically our thoughts and our words are what are oftentimes the invisible energies that form the outer world that we live in and if we want to change the planet we have to start to change our thinking so for example if we keep on thinking the world has gone too far um we're we're actually um dreaming a defeatist attitude into being in the world. And so um, from a shamanic point of view, if we would start to come together as a global community and start to focus our thoughts and words and daydreams on the actual world we do want to live in, instead of focusing on our thoughts and words into complaining about what's not working, but focus on what we want to see working, that's how we actually change the world that we live in. And um, specifically what shamanism really teaches us is that there's a web of life that connects, um, that connects us all and a principle of unity and oneness <clears throat> and the power that comes together in working together um, in unity instead of um, from a place of division, which division is really what we're seeing today. And the real healing that needs to come in is to see that we we are all part of this planet and we all need to work together um, to uh, uh, focus our thoughts and words and our daydreams on the world that we want to be living in together as one world community. And and to live... um, a life of honor and respect and gratitude, and that that's a real way to change the world that we're living in also. When you talk about shamanic practitioners coming together and Mm -hmm. the power of the work they can create together, what are you imagining? What can practitioners do together that would be effective? Well, I've actually... um, I I actually uh, have been bringing groups together to work in this particular way of uh, really learning. This is a difficult thing. It's a challenging thing, but it's also a very exciting thing of to actually be observant of our moment-to-moment thoughts throughout the day. So um, how many times do... I start to move into a place of, oh my God, um, there's too much happening in the in the world. Uh, there's too much pollution. There's too much anger. There's too much violence in the world. I, I just don't know where this is going to all end up. The more I focus on those thoughts, the more I'm feeding the anger and the pollution in the world. So trying to really get people to um, focus on peace is possible. Um, we have unlimited potential to be able to reverse the environmental pollution in the world. We are creative beings. We are spiritual light. And to start to project um, beauty onto the world. So here's an example uh, with what happened during, um, with Haiti during the, the earthquake. There was a group of shamanic practitioners who were starting to daydream about a Haiti that was rebuilt in a good way, um, that where there wasn't poverty, where children all had the potential for going to school. And so they started to focus their thoughts on that. And as we continue that line of thinking, from a shamanic point of view, you start to move that invisible world of substance that you're daydreaming into an actual physical reality. So uh, it really is. Go- it really takes a group of people to start to um, change what they're daydreaming about, and that's what I've been trying to inspire people to do as communities 
is start to daydream the world that you actually want to see materialize. And how would somebody go about invoking the help of their guardian spirits, helping spirits in that process? Um, well, to, to actually ask their helping spirits to um, start to give them some teachings on their own creative potential. What we're missing in, the, in our way of thinking right now is we all have the ability as human beings to create a better world just as the creator created this world into being. And so what we really need to do right now is to own our own creative brilliance. And where the helping spirits can help us is through inspiring us to tap into our own creative potential. And how do, like, I can go to my own helping spirits and ask, how would I want to change my thoughts? Can you give me some ideas on how I can change my thoughts and the words that I use throughout the day and to show me the power of what I'm doing on an invisible level that will create those positive changes on the physical level for my own personal life and for the planet itself and how I can start radiating my light into the world that's going to change the presence of the world just like you had experienced that change in presence. That sounds true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we're just a couple years away from the date of 2012, the year of 2012, and I'm curious, there are a lot of different views about prophecy related to 2012 and uh, earth changes related to 2012. What, what's your perspective on 2012, Sandra? Well, <clears throat> I actually think 2012 is here right now. <laughs> now. Um, and I think we're already, I mean, if you just follow what we're seeing um, right now, if you follow the earth changes that we're seeing, if you follow the energies that we're seeing on the planet right now, we're seeing where this is going to but I do believe, and absolutely believe, and this was the very first vision I got as a child, and I, I will stick to this vision until the day I die, that we do have the possibility as human beings to, um, to create a world of peace, joy, and abundance for all. And what my helping spirits keep on telling me is that our future is created by our present so that we need to stop focusing on 2012. We need to start focusing on what we're doing right now. And I think it's very important for people to find some spiritual practice that calls to them to engage on so that they can start to learn how to change their thoughts and how to change their words and how to feed light into the world instead of feeding the unrest and the pollution that we're seeing. Um, because what we're, what we're seeing right now is where the world is going to go to in 2012 unless we actually start to do some work right now, today, right at this moment. And I do believe that um, if, we, if we start to believe that 2012 is about the end of the world, that's exactly what we're going to create. So um, I believe that we're seeing a death of an old way of living and that it's not the death of the material world or the death of our lives, but of a new evolution of consciousness coming in and the more people who are willing to answer the call to starting to find spiritual practices that start to feed the world with light that lead to a life of honor and respect, we are going to see all of this turn around, um, all the earth changes, all the unrest turn around, and I think it's going to be faster than we even believe that it could happen as long as we come together as a global community in unity and start to work together to daydream the world that we actually want to live in 
and to learn how to live a life of honor and respect and gratitude. Now, Sandra, you said that you had a vision when you were young and that it's a vision you'll be true to all the way till your death. What, what exactly did you see? I actually saw that we were born to live a life of joy, that that is our birthright. And I made a decision. I remember sitting on my couch in Brooklyn, New York, as a very young child, saying that I am not going to give up on creating a life of joy and helping others to do the same until my last breath. And that's some of my frustration with what I see right now is there's so much energy into a defeatist attitude around the prophecies of 2012 that the world is ending, um, and meaning that on a, on a physical, material level, it's, it's almost like people have given up. And um, why would you want to give up? Why not go for um, giving everything that you have to use your creative potential to turn things around and to um, be in a place of, of hope and to inspire people into the possibilities of what could come out of changing our way of life um, to a healthier way of living um, in, for ourselves and for the planet itself. And so um, I'm trying to inspire people to not give up. There's no reason to give up yet. Um, you know, really tap into our creative potential. Find those spiritual practices that call to you that will ripple throughout the entire web of life and, and change the world that we live in. Now I want to take this one step further, Sandra, about 2012, mm-hmm. because you and I had a conversation once at dinner about, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, Right. and you mentioned something that I didn't quite fully understand, but I wanted to understand, so I'm going to try again, which is something about how you could see that there might be some kind of split or something, yes. dimensional uh-huh. split related to 2012. Maybe you can remind me of what you said and then help sure. me understand it. Yeah, I think about this every day. So, um, <clears throat> I, I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I love to visit Anazazi ruins. And the Anazazi were a very ancient um, people, and they lived in uh, the southwest, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, and Arizona. And from an anthropological perspective, nobody could really explain what happened to the Anazazi, but it looks like they actually all disappeared right in the middle of dinner at the same time. Um, they're gone. There are no more Anasazi people left, and it's always been a big scientific mystery of where did the Anasazi people go. When I personally visit Anasazi ruins, I feel the presence of the people still there. I, I feel a peace. I feel a, a vitality. I feel a life. And what I've always felt from an intuitive point of view is that the Anazazi shifted on a frequency, on a vibrational level, and they're still living on the land there. They're just living in a different dimension. And when I look at the world today, there are so many thousands of people who are being called to a spiritual path and who are radiating light into the world and who are um, doing the self-exploration that's needed right now to um, find peace within, to find light within, to find love within, and to start to move out of separate states of consciousness to um, a a perception and living a life, seeing themselves as connected to nature and to all of life and to each other, to a perspective of unity. So you see a lot of people who are actually shifting their vibration, who are shifting their frequency right now to a more expansive state of consciousness. And then you see people who are moving deeper into a place of hate, uh, deeper into a place of violence, deeper into a place of hopelessness, and deeper into a place of separation. 
And it's almost like um, those energies are becoming stronger and stronger. You have more people being called to a more evolutionary uh, way of, of living their lives. And you have people who are moving more into a denser way of living life, into a, a, a more separate state and a more violent state. And you could actually see, experience those energies pulling uh, apart. And so then I wonder at what point and what my spirits had shown to me, actually when I was 40 years old, I had a vision of this, of moving into a place like the Anazazi where part of the population is, is living in one vibration and part of the population is, is living in a different vibration. And it's all about choice. Um, what choices do you want to, to, do you want to make? Are you feeding a denser view of reality or, or are you feeding light and a more expansive, um, state of oneness? And that people are going to shift um, basically into two different dimensions um, that are, are, you can see the split actually happening right at this particular point. And it, it's, it's something that um, you really have to tap into more on a feeling level uh, to really get what that split is about. But um, you have part of the population moving into one frequency, and you have uh, part of a population actually dropping into a denser state of consciousness. And at some point, that creates uh, two different dimensions and two ways, uh, two different ways of, of living in the world. And whether or not we end up as the Anazazis did, where it looks like one part of the population has actually left but they're still living in the world, just um, invisible because they're, they're living at a different vibration. Um, that part, you know, I don't really have all the answers to at this point, but does that make any sense at all? It sort of makes sense, but it also stretches my rational mind here a bit, meaning with mm-hmm. the Anasazi, they're no longer physically with us. Right. They died. That we can see. That we can see. Yeah. That we can see. And yet, when I look around the world, I am with you that people are at different vibrations, different levels of consciousness, and certainly feels like we're living in different worlds, but physically we're all in the same world. Right. But it sounds like what you're pointing to is that there might be, at some point, that these vibrations are so different between people who have awakened to spiritual light, let's say, and and people who are more continuing to contract in their sense of division, that we actually live in different physical realms? It could be, yes. yes. That's where, I think that's where I go, what, 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 what? (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I'm one one of those people who love the mysteries of life, and so I just kind of live in that excitement of, I wonder what will happen um, if there's actually going to be two different worlds um, that are created um, because there is such a split or if we all live together on the same world in the same dimension and we're all just operating at, at different vibrations and having a completely different experience of life. And I really don't know the answer to that question. And for myself personally, I'm fine with that. I can live in that state of wonder um, and I don't know the answer to that, and I don't think anybody really does, um, because the, as I said, from what my spirits are saying, is that the future is created from the present, and so we really don't know where the future is going um, at this time, because it really has to do with that moment-to-moment life that we all engage in on a daily basis together. That's what is going to end up creating um, the future for this planet. Well, Sandra, I want to thank you so much for being with us here on Insights at the Edge. Really fabulous to talk with you. Yeah, thanks, Tammy. It's always great to talk with you also. 
Sandra Ingerman is the author, along with Hank Wesselman, of a new book from Sounds True called Awakening to the Spirit World, The Shamanic Path of Direct Revelation. She's also created several audio recordings with Sounds True, including a program called Miracles for the Earth and The Beginner's Guide to Shamanic Journeying. And additionally, Sandra will be live in a three-part online event series on 21st century shamanism, the evolution of shamanism in our time. And that series begins on August 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, thank you, Sandra Ingerman, for bringing your spiritual light here to the Sounds True listeners. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. <laughs>